Welcome back or welcome to the Defining Endurance Podcast. I am your host, Coach Andrew Simmons, and today we have episode three of five of our Layers of Fitness series. This has been an ongoing series that we've put together uh, to talk all about the different pieces of what it takes to actually come together and put it all together on race day. This may be uh, a bigger explanation for some of you guys uh, that kind of drills deep into the specifics. I get a lot of questions from you guys about how fitness is built, maybe some questions about, well, what what should I spend my time improving? VO2 max, lactate threshold, what is the most important piece here? And we're going to talk a little bit about baking the cake. Uh, I know that uh, we've had some fun analogies on these episodes, um, but really this, this is really about digging into some of the smaller nooks and crannies of the performance, the preparation and racing. If you guys remember, we spent the last episode uh, kind of talking about what I called our mise en place, the ingredients. Uh, and if I'm being honest, we really only scraped the surface of preparation. Uh, quite often uh, when we train, we end up degrading in certain areas over a cycle. And the prep can really be about preparing our bodies to train and really rebuilding ignored areas of training. Um, so this is where we can kind of start to see some injuries, uh, you know, from the middle of the training cycle towards the end. If there were areas that we did not focus on early on, or we didn't put those ingredients in place, um, you know, whether that's strength training or things like that, um, this is this is kind of our last chance, kind of the middle of the cycle, um, and this is why I call it baking the cake because uh, you know you you get all your ingredients together, you got to bake the cake, but it's not a cake yet. You know we haven't put frosting on it, we haven't decorated it, we haven't kind of finished this thing up. So we're going through this process of really building the most important pieces of our fitness. And I want to reference an earlier episode. Uh, this is actually all the way in episode three with Dr. Riley. We talked about the biophysical model of training and treatment. And, and, and this is what, what comes together here is that it's really an overcomplicated way that describes how to approach training as well as treating the human body. And since we're not robots, uh, it's important that we, we key in on really two principles here. This is load versus capacity. Uh, and this balance is, is the balance of the stress response. And then guess really furthermore, how do these two factors load and capacity come together to create an outcome, right? Well, well, let me explain. I know that that can be confusing, but, but imagine, um, that we're going to kind of work backwards as a 3:30 marathon, right? This is kind of a, a common time for people that are trying to qualify for Boston. It's, it's a great goal, right? But you have to have run and enough miles leading into that race that 3:30 is even possible. It has to be within your realm. It's not like you just decide one day. Some people have a base level of fitness that 3:30 is truly aerobic for them, and they can go run that. That's not what we're focused on here. Uh, so let's let's come back. So since you've already run a marathon, let's just say you've already got one under your belt, and your next target is at 3:30, you have built up a certain amount of capacity uh, in training, right? You've you've run 26 miles. You you have a certain amount of capacity in training. Now, we have to give this scenario a few constraints, uh, you know, just so that we're all on the same page. Uh, let's just say you peaked at 45 mile, mile week, maybe one time in your buildup, um, but otherwise averaging 40 miles a week. Um, and consider that, you know, you're running, you know, 20 miles a week, um, you know, with, with one workout per week. Nothing crazy, just trying to hold on to fitness. And so 
first of all, let's talk about the scenario of just jumping right back into to 40 miles a week. You've been at 20. You're saying, I'm going to go for that 330. You just jump right up to 40. And what I, what I want to remind you guys here before we, we drill down into the scenario that what we're really talking about in training is stress. And this is where load and capacity or the word overload is important, right? Overload um, kind of lives in a very special range. You know, if we go from 20 miles a week to 40 miles a week, uh, that's a that's a 200% jump. Um, that's, that is a, a, a big jump. Um, and the way that I'll encourage you guys to look at making your jumps as an athlete, somewhere around 30 minutes a week. That's a great, great, you know, jump to be able to make. Don't put that all into one run, right? increasing your long run 30 minutes in one week is going to be really uncomfortable. Instead, you know, add 10 minutes, that may be a mile, mile and a half, uh, to two or three runs. And that's going to get you your 30 minutes, uh, pretty easily. And so these small doses kind of dispersed over a week, again, that allows you to spread the load out over a week. So we have what I would consider to be called point loading, meaning you have loaded a lot into one day or maybe a a span of two days, a a large training block, right? If you're doing a training camp, you know that point loading could happen over a whole week, but also with that comes a lot of recovery. Um, And so you can't just, you know, point load your body all at once and then just be like, cool, we're doing this now, right? You can't go from 20 miles a week to 40 miles a week and then just hold 40 miles a week. that is unless you'd been training at 40 miles a week and 20 miles a week was a light week because for whatever reason you brought it down that much. That is different. If you have only been training at 20 and you move to 40, you're gonna have a bad time. And the reason I say that is our body needs to adapt to that load. You have not built that capacity right? The capacity in your tissues, in your muscles, they are not conditioned uh, to be able to respond to 40 miles a week, week after week after week, you know, going from 20 to 24 to 28 to 32, like taking time to build up to that is super important. um, Just from a tissue tolerance standpoint, you know, that would be the equivalent of going and say, you're going to, you've been doing a 150 pound back squat and you're just going to go rep 300 now for, you know, time continuum. Um, at some point, you know, yes, you may adapt to 300 pounds. Um, but it's more than likely that from moving from 150 to 300 and just repping it out, like you were doing 150, guess what? You're going to get injured. You're going to hurt something somewhere because you haven't built the tolerance. So with that point in place, I want to use an analogy uh, that I think is really helpful when we talk about this load versus capacity issue. Um, and I, I call this the paperclip analogy. And all of us have taken a paperclip and we've, you know, unfurled it into one piece of wire. And if we take that and we we bend that paperclip, we do it three or four times, paperclip's totally fine. The difference between the human body and a piece of metal, and again, the engineer in me is like, ooh, let's talk metallurgy. Let's not talk metallurgy. But the reality is, is that that, that metal, it, that fatigue that is happening, that bending that happens in there, like that metal has a memory. It has a memory of what's happened there. And so if we know that that paperclip, if we do it 10 times, it's going to break. You can do four of them. You can come back two weeks, do another four. And two weeks later, you can come back and do two and it'll still break. 
it doesn't heal. It doesn't adapt. It doesn't respond, right? It just hits a point of overload and it's done, right? It's fractures, it fatigues. Um, and that fatigue remains inside the paperclip. Doesn't matter how many times. If we know 10 is the number, you got 10. That's it. Where the body is different is that if we can do two, the next day we could come back, maybe, you know, do another two and then another two. And then eventually we'll be able to do three. And then three turns into four and eventually get to the point where we can do 10, right? That's like 10 miles a week, uh, excuse me, 10 miles a day. And that, that could be 60, 70 miles a week from someone that was running, you know, two, right? Two, two bends of the paperclip, it's 20 miles a week. And so what I want you guys to realize here is that our bodies will respond to stress as long as the stress that's being applied falls in kind of that narrow range. If we don't give it enough stress, right? And if we don't stress that body enough, we're actually not going to get a response. If we just go, if we bend it once, we're not actually providing overload, right? We have to overload, recover, and respond, right? Those are kind of the three layers of of training is that you have to go from 20 miles a week and push it a little bit to say 24, 25 miles a week. You can do that for a couple of weeks and you bring everything down. This idea of periodization is about overloading consistently, right? Not going 20 to 40 and holding 40, working our way up to 40, and then actually dropping down from that 40 peak to say 30, right? And this idea is how we bake the cake, right? Most of us just put the, the cake in the oven um, and sometimes we go on autopilot with our training and we assume in our brains that I just, if I just keep it at 400 degrees, if I just keep my engine hot all the way until we get to taper, I'm going to be good. And we're not cakes. We're, we're not that, that simple that way. We have to actually come out of the oven got to go back in the oven and we can go in for a while, but we have to come out of the oven and kind of cool down a little bit. And when we quote unquote cool down a little bit, that's actually when we get the physiological response. And that's when the adaptation kind of sets in. Uh, think of this as um, we're, we're kind of creating and making permanent those changes. We are raising our baseline. Uh, our, our homeostasis is now kind of set into a new zone. So if you spent the last eight weeks going through two cycles of four weeks, you started at 20, you're now at 30 on your recovery week, and you spent 80, you know, eight, excuse me, eight weeks getting to that 30, that's your new baseline, which means that as you work your way up, your homeostasis is 30 miles a week, your body's comfortable there, you're able to recover, your body is happy in that spot. And so that is kind of this idea of we have to apply stress. Now, the type of stress applied is what makes the art of coaching and the art of training what it is. And I've talked a lot about marathoning because marathon is kind of the middle, um, I think, of or at least the upper end of distance training. But it's something that most people can understand that this is a four to five and a half hour event for the majority of people in the U.S. Now, if we're talking someone that's running two hours to, you know, three hours, they're experiencing the same amount of stress um, that someone that is doing four to five hours. And this is where things can kind of get a little bit tricky uh, when you start to think of a coach uh, having to program athletes on kind of different uh, 
ends of the speed spectrum. How do it, do, do you bake the cake differently for a fast runner versus a slow runner? And, and the reality is here is that um, there, it still comes back to the super simple principles of, of work, right? We know that when we're running, uh, if we call VO2 max, you know, watts per kilogram, right? Watts is still work, right? Work is, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's work over time, right? And so if we're, we're thinking about output over time and we're just pulling that, you know, block up a ramp, um, that is where we're experiencing, you know, that that's work and we do that over time. And so the, the factor here, something really interesting to think about is that if we take out the idea of speed, a two and a half hour workout for one person and a two and a half hour workout for another that that is where if if all things are equal the intensity factor for both of these athletes is 0.84 the only difference that these two people are going to experience at the end of the day is distance covered right they they are both going to experience the same amount of quote unquote stress they're going to you know both put out the same amount of work amount of joules right energy um, but the reality is, is that one is going to go further and what it all comes back to, right? Distance covered comes back to efficiency, right? How efficient are you at that intensity factor of 0.84 at a heart rate of 154 beats? Someone may be running 10 miles an hour. The other may be running six miles an hour, significantly different outcomes at the end of that two and a half hours, but the work output is the same. Now, the reality is, um, I want to say it was Dean Karnazes or one of the others in the past, uh, maybe it was even Ryan Hall, he talked about how much credit he gives to the people that take, you know, four and a half, five, five and a half hours to do what he does in two hours and four minutes. It is twice as long. It's twice as much work that they have to put out there. And so efficiency, right? And all of these different pieces come into place. Now, that doesn't mean that the five and a half hour marathoner is doing the wrong workouts, that they're doing the wrong things, right? Now we start talking about genetic profiles of are people genetically more gifted to be a distance runner versus a sprinter? Um, you know, what is their biological limit in terms of their, you know, ventilatory threshold um, and VO2 max and all of these things? Some people may only ever have a VO2 max of 48 to 50, whereas others may have a VO2 max in the high 60s and high 70s. That's going to make them a significantly better runner if they have a higher VO2 max. That just means that they're going to be able again, potentially to cover more distance. Now you've seen skate skiers, uh, like Nordic skate skiers with, with VO two maxes in the nineties. It doesn't mean that they're two hour two you know, two hour and four minute marathoners are faster. They have found that the skiing is their niche and their best sport. And that is what works for them. And they may also enjoy that a whole lot. But the point I'm trying to get across here, when we talk about this idea of load and capacity, think about the five and a half hour marathoner. They have the capacity to handle a significantly higher load than the two hour, two and a half hour marathoner, which means that they have actually a greater endurance than the two and a half hour marathoner. The two and a half hour marathoner is just able to cover that distance faster. They are more efficient at running period. And so that may mean that that five and a half hour marathoner is going to cover twice as many steps 
right? Even if the cadence is the same at 180, they're going to cover twice as many steps as that person that's doing the two and a half hour marathon. Stride rate, stride distance, right? is going to be significantly smaller for the five and a half hour marathoner than the two and a half hour marathoner, right? And so we can talk then about like who of those two would be stronger, which of these athletes is going to have more muscle and muscle mass? At the end of the day, these things can be equal. It's just the fact that that two and a half hour athlete is more efficient. So when we take the efficiency off of the, the table, what comes back here is when you are building yourself up, whether you're a two and a half hour or five and a half hour marathoner, the number one thing you have to do is that when you are increasing or trying to increase your capacity, and I'll just use the word endurance here. Endurance tends to be the word that clicks for people is that you are trying to increase your ability to have a, to, to endure longer and longer bouts of running, of movement, of going uphill, whatever it may be. This doesn't just have to be the marathon on roads. This can be mountain running, whatever it may be. You are increasing your capacity your ability to continually do that thing, right? Specific adaptation that we're trying to get. And this idea of load versus capacity is taken from the idea of hours to now think about it in terms of very small things. Um, can your hip muscles maintain a flat, you know, uh, and control your pelvis for that five and a half hours or that two and a half hours? Basically, does it have the endurance uh, to have uh, good mechanics, right? Can it hold those things efficiently in place? Because we talked about efficiency. And so think about this. If your pelvis is getting all wonky and you're really loading that outside IT band on the right side, and then next step, it's on the left side, right side, left side. Endurance is not simply the ability to run that far. It is also having the muscular endurance, right? Endurance is a big word that covers a lot of things, but we can talk about tissue tolerance being calf raises, and that is uh, a load versus capacity. You know, one of the things that I think is really important is being able to do this. Sounds so simple, but I, I would bet some of you that are listening can't do 30 to get like heels together calf raises in a row without getting significant fatigue, right? This is a, just kind of a basic load versus capacity test. Um, you know, I, I think it's important to be able to do something as simple as 30 regular calf raises. Uh, quite often, you know, a workout that I will give is 20 double, 10 single right, 10 single left. And this is a simple load capacity test of like, hey, do we even have the muscular endurance to be able to do something as basic as 40 calf raises total? And so we think about if you can't hit that 30 or that 40, right? We have your, your body cannot manage the load that you're applying, right? So load outweighs capacity. Therefore, you have to shut down. And so that's when you see an athlete get to mile 18, mile 20. That is where they haven't applied enough load in their training or the pacing model that they chose was incorrect. They did not have the ability to manage the capacity to manage that load for that time, right? They, they, they have not trained themselves to manage that amount of work. So bringing this all back, we're baking a cake. We've talked load and capacity. We've talked about it from a muscular standpoint. I think the thing that's really important here to understand is that it's not always about adding muscle. Let me just 
just key in on this strength piece here. A lot of think, oh, I have to add muscle. It's not muscle. It is actually the, the connection between your brain and the muscle that you already have that you have to be able to control it. You probably already have the muscle and the muscle mass that you need in place. You're probably very poor at controlling it. A lot of the time when we think strength training, we think two legs, basic squat, and what we need to think is single leg, maybe moving either in a lateral direction, right? So you could think of this as a lateral lunge. You could think of this as a forward lunge and a twist uh, into, you know, in a, along the transverse plane. These are going to be things that are going to challenge your body in a more dynamic way. If we only ever do work forward and backwards and we skip this side to side, we are going to see injuries on the side to side. And so I will just put this out here that as you are baking the cake, remember that yes, you are a runner, but first you are an athlete and athletes move in different directions. And so this is why it's important to not just do a regular two-legged squat, to be able to challenge yourself in terms of balance, right? Being able to do, everybody hates single leg squats. Everybody does, they're uncomfortable and they they make your quads hurt for a couple of days. And no one likes, you know, uh, you know, side raise, uh, leg raises, right? Like side plank leg raises. They're hard. They make your butt hurt. But it's those muscles in those areas that are important that are going to fatigue. And so when that load versus capacity late in the race is met, hopefully it's met, you know, long after the finish line. Hopefully that load capacity equation is 27, 28 miles of true fatigue. But if you're hitting load capacity limit, at 18, 20 miles, you're starting to lock up, you're starting to cramp, right? That's not always a factor of heat. It means that your muscles have reached their capacity for what, what they can handle, right? That load is now, you are overloading it and your body is screaming enough and that's when you have to dial back. And so as we, you know, bake this, this cake, so to speak, we have to remember that overload requires recovery and to overload means to take our time and not try to get to the point where we are constantly having to rest from a single acute point loaded workout. If our workouts are so big or so hard that the next day we need a day off or we can't accomplish the schedule that we laid out, it's not your fault. You've created a poor schedule or whoever's creating your schedule has created a poor schedule. The best workout has two things that are very, very important. One, it's in the direction of your goals. There is no reason to be doing, you know, 800 meter work in the middle of a training cycle if you're training for a marathon, right? That's not in the direction of your goals. And number two, you can recover from it and you can recover from it relatively quickly. Now, if you do a hard workout on a Tuesday, you should be able to wake up Wednesday after six to eight hours of sleep and reasonably be you know, reasonably speaking, go out, maybe be a little bit sore and be able to hit your aerobic run the next day. Now, I'm not here to tell people how to work out, you know, your methodology, your coach, whoever, if you're listening to this, you may do back-to-back -back workouts. I do not recommend it. You're going to be sore. Your mechanics are going to be off. Your mobility, all of this is, is off the next day. That's why it's best to use a recovery run, cross training, those things, as long as they're achievable. But to do a proper workout 
It's about getting up to the point that you hit last time and then just going over that edge a little bit more, right? Progressive overload. Now that also means that every couple of workouts, you should have one that isn't overreaching, that isn't trying to overreach, but instead, can we improve for less? If we did a 30 minute tempo, next week we did 32, and then the, the week after we did 36, there's no reason that fourth week to go to 40. Go back to 30 or 32, can you increase the pace? Can you do that same pace, but at a lower heart rate by one or two beats per minute? These times when we actually bring things down is a great time to assess, has the training of the last couple of weeks actually improved what's there? And so what happens here, a lot of people forget, as a coach, my job is not to entertain you and give you all of these different workouts. It's actually sometimes super boring. You may see the same workout over and over and over. And you're like, God, why am I getting the same workout over and over and over? Can you master the workout? Can you improve your markers inside that workout? And so sometimes instead of having something new and different to keep yourself entertained and overly engaged, sometimes it's actually about, can I maintain my focus for that 30 minutes? And can I work on relaxing at that seven minute pace? Oh, and that seven minute pace now is like 655 for 155 beats per minute. Great, I know what I'm doing is working. And I know that the recipe is there. I know that how we're baking it, right? That time putting it in the oven and now we're taking it out of the oven. We're doing that right. And so these are the things that you start to see as an athlete that if you get a ton of workouts that are all over the place, you're like some days it's super high, fast speed work. And some days it's long tempos. Um, if you're actually moving in the direction of like a marathon or a half marathon, the work is pretty boring. The work is pretty continuous. The work is a lot of threshold work. Now you may have that broken up into intervals and at times you may be doing hills and things like that. But if it is you know, dramatically and dynamically different week to week, I would ask yourself if this is truly moving you in the direction of your goals. If you're finishing your workouts and the next day you're like, oh my God, I'm so tired. That workout was too much and you're not recovering from it. And so those things violate the rule, the two rules we set, be able to recover from it and is it in the direction of your goals? So this all comes back to the idea that everything that we do is an applied stress. And as we close out this third episode about baking the cake and kind of pulling this all together, what I want you to understand is that stress is everything, but stress is also everywhere. And what we have to do as athletes is understand first that stress is all throughout our lives. Our body does not compartmentalize. If you've been listening to this podcast for long enough, I will say this and I will say it again. Our body sees stress in one direction, which means if you are having a really rough day at work, if you're having a rough day at home, you are, you know, life stress is happening, buying a home, you know, death in the family, a newborn baby, all of those things are considered to be some of the most stressful parts of life. If you're experiencing those and trying to perform and run, you're on borrowed time. You have to learn that we cannot, you know, easily compartmentalize those things. We do not fill up the life stress bucket and then go to work out and go, oh, I got another bucket to fill up. If that bucket's full, that bucket's full. And I consider that the lowest amount of bucket filling uh, that happens is easy days. And so I will give you guys a pretty simple rule. If you are having a very stressful day, a really rough day, 
and you've got a workout listed. And that workout is also providing stress that you have to get in and get done. The best thing that you can do on those days is to actually skip that workout. Yep, I said it. Skip that workout. Go for out, go out for 20 to 30 minutes easy. And you may find that your heart rate is already higher for that 20 to 30 minutes. And you know what? If you're going to attempt that workout and during your workout, it feels hard. Your heart rate is high. Your breathing pattern feels off. Your body feels off. That's your body telling you that maybe today isn't the day to try to do that. Maybe that life stress needs to come down a little bit before you can go have a good performance and a workout that's going to build you up not only physically, but also mentally. Workouts can be super taxing. They can also provide anxiety if they're a workout that kind of scares you a little bit. And that's okay to be scared by your workouts, but it's not okay to go into those workouts that scare you and not have given yourself a true opportunity to perform at them. If you're going in and stress is super high, more than likely the outcome of that workout is not going to be a good outcome. You may crash and burn that workout. And then the next time you have to do that workout, or if that workout goes up a notch, it goes from that 32 minute tempo to 36. What's your confidence going into that 36 minute tempo? It's probably, you know, a little bruised, a little broken. And so it's worthwhile to skip that, move that, and just realize that life happens. And sometimes when you're baking a cake, it falls apart. Sometimes your body isn't going to manage the load that you're putting on it and you're going to break and you're going to have breakdowns. And so the things that I think are super important, yes, every runner should strength train, even if it's body weight, even if it's a total of six movements once a week, do something that is about strengthening that is in the direction of your racing. Two, be able to recover from workouts and also make sure that those things are in the direction of your training. Three, stress. It is everything. Stress is what we apply. It is what work is at the end of the day to our body. It's how we absorb it. And we be able to, what, what really happens at the end of the day, if you guys want to talk training peaks for 30 seconds here, we think about chronic training load. Well, what is chronic training load? Chronic training load is chronic stress. Acute training load is acute stress. What did you do today? What did you do over the last six weeks? That's how those metrics are built, okay? TSB, it's about how well can you recover? Are you recovering and bouncing back? This is what should be able to happen. So at the end of this, stress is everything. We are basically baking a cake of stress and being able to handle and manage a greater load. So the idea of overload is everything as we bake this cake because we are trying to adapt to a certain amount of load on a specific day at a specific time. So we have to be able to recover from that. And that is what taper is. And that is actually what we are going to talk all about in episode four. I like to call this decorating the cake. This is kind of that final piece where we're putting it all together. It's starting to really look like a cake and not just a bunch of cooked dough. So with that said, I'm going to sign off for episode three. I've really enjoyed talking through this with you guys. If this was an awesome episode for you, shoot me a DM on Instagram. If you have other questions from this episode, shoot them there. Shoot me an email, andrew at lifelongendurance. I look forward to seeing you guys in the next one.